When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome to the Football Digest weekly podcast. Thanks so much for, for joining us. Um, where are we going to start this week, really? It's in International Week, really. Um, England looking forward to a game against Ukraine, but it's in Poland. Yeah, it's going to be a, I think, a, a really memorable occasion just because of the significance of it, of the colour of it, the support, and just playing Ukraine. What I think we can really look forward to an exciting game on Saturday just because of the slightly different circumstances as well, really. But I tell you what, Southgate, you know, we'll talk about Gareth Southgate, where does he go from here? You know, he's obviously in bullish mood, giving the players a pep talk this week. England's exciting young ones, really, and Premier League. Where do we think that it finished, really? And um, and who's in good shape? And particularly after the transfer window. What a transfer window. What did we learn over the course of the transfer? To digest that, we've got Andy Dunn, um, Jeremy Cross and Simon Mallock. Nice to see you guys. And um, yeah, let's let's start with England, Ukraine. I don't know. It, I don't know whether you've picked it apart, guys, but the um, England could technically qualify but basically they'd need to win and other results go for them this over the course of the weekend. But equally, if they lose and then Ukraine, you know, end up winning their second game, all of a sudden the, the group becomes mildly interesting again, really. So what team, Andy Dunn, does, does Southgate put out, do you think, in, in, in Rocklau? Is that, that's not the right way of saying it, is it? Tell us. <laughs> Rush laugh, isn't it? Rush laugh, I think they they they, they pronounce it. Um, what teams he probably puts out as strong as available? Simple as that. You, you know, the game sort of creeps up on you a bit. You know, in the sense that a lot of people always think, "Oh, why do you have an international break this soon?" Into a domestic season, only four games gone of the domestic seasons, Premier League, and the other seasons around um, Europe. Um, but it's an extremely important game. You know, this is a European qualifier. We, in a sense, we we sort of take it for granted that. England will qualify, and and I'm pretty certain they will. But there's absolutely the necessity to get the job done as soon as possible. He'll put his strongest team out there. He's got a strong team. There are some absentees, obviously. Um, um, Jack Grealish, obviously not there amongst others. But he'll have a strong team to put out there. We've got players playing well, um, and, and I certainly think, you know, with Kane leading the line, Bellingham, being the pivotal figure in midfield, England will go there. And I think you're right, John. I think it'll be, I think people won't realise it, it, it. It's such, I think it'll be a great atmosphere there. We saw the atmosphere at the um, Alexander Usyk, Daniel Dubois fight um, in the same stadium. You have 40 odd thousand people, 60 miles from the Ukrainian border. I think it'll be a brilliant atmosphere. I think it's an important game. I think he'll put his best side out. And England, as they normally do in qualifying, um, campaigns and to be fair as they've done you know a lot of the time in the actual finals tournaments over the last three occasions 
they'll rise to the occasion um, and they should get the result there in, in the Ukraine. But Southgate will be really stressing, you know, l- listen, you know, the the qualification isn't done yet, as you said. It's not done. We all write it as it has been done. Let's go and get it done there and then go and enjoy um, um, a friendly game up in Scotland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Friendly game in Scotland. That'd be that'd be quite interesting. Jeremy, Jeremy, what do you what do you think about you know England Ukraine? I mean, it will be a different atmosphere, won't it? Really, and I, I guess it, there are a few selection dilemmas, aren't there? Really, because you know what does he do in midfield? I think the kind of the if everyone's fit, the front line almost itself. You know, there's an issue now in central defence. It's quite an interesting. It's quite an interesting couple of games, isn't it? Yeah, look, the game's obviously played amongst the ongoing terrible events in, in Ukraine. So it'll be, a, it'll be strange, won't it? You know, two teams playing on a neutral ground, but, you know, England is too professional to, to worry about that. They'll just get on with the job. I agree with Dunning. He's got to pick his best side. He wants to win the game, win it well. You know, and they're virtually there through qualifying. So I don't know. I mean, it'd be interesting. I think he'll pick Maguire, won't he? He's picked him in the squad. He's very loyal to Maguire. He's not you know, kicked a ball in anger this season for Man United. It's a strange situation. I don't agree with him picking Maguire first. I think if you're not playing, you don't don't get in an England squad. It's the same with Carlton Phillips. It's remarkable really how he's so loyal to these players when he's when he has made made a case for saying I'm not gonna pick players, you know, um who aren't getting game time. So it's an odd one that. And obviously John Stones is injured, he's missing, he would have been the pivotal guy in the back. Um but I think he'll go with Maguire. I just think he's so loyal to him. And in fairness to Maguire, he's never let England down, really. He's always played well for England. And like Dunny said, I think midfield, it'll just revolve around Bellingham, won't it? He's been such a great start to his life in Real Madrid. Real Madrid has been brilliant for them this season. So, you know, he's now the number one name on the team sheet, isn't he? So, you know, I don't, don't anticipate England having any difficulty winning this game. So, you know, but he's if he picks his strongest team, I'd expect to win comfortably. Yeah, so, so he's got a few interesting squad selections, isn't he? But one person I just wanted to sort of touch on was 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 Jordan Pickford. It's really it's a really weird one, isn't it? Because I I, I kind of think that sometimes if you watch you know match of the day or kind of the Sky sort of um, review of the weekend, whatever you like, really, it's, I always think in the past it's so much easier to be the number two because you're making spectacular saves. You're being lauded. You're getting all the all, all the kind of the credit, and everyone says, "Oh, we should be number one." Rather forgetting who's who is currently number one, and I just thought for a change, Jordan Pickford, all you know, he scored no goal. Very unfortunate. He, he actually, you know, it was brilliant to see him getting the getting the plaudits, and I just think, wow, what a position to to be in for for Jordan Pickford. What a what a fantastic goalkeeper. In England, England, well, you might not agree, but England possessed, you know, sort of thing. I do, I do agree, John. And the thing is, I don't think Jordan Pickford has ever let England down. So I can't, I, I, I sometimes struggle to understand a little bit some of the kind of debate over whether he wants his place or not. Um, very unfortunate, like you say, with the, the, the goal that bounced in off him at Sheffield United, but then kind of made amends with that unbelievable double save in the um, in the last minute. And let's be let's be honest. Sheffield United score that, then the crisis at Everton would be a lot deeper than it than it actually is at the you know at the moment. It, you know they, they're now they're now on the board, albeit with only a, a single point. But you know the thing is with Jordan Pickford, he's he's one of the players in that England squad, one of the few England players who actually plays 
at the wrong end of the Premier League. You know, he, he will be constantly under the spotlight every single week because Everton, let's be fair, are a team that generally have to soak up a lot of pressure and will concede quite a few chances. So, um, you know, he's, he's, he's unfortunate in, in that way, but I think he deserves a lot of credit. You know, he's, he's kind of stuck by Everton. He's, he's been loyal to them. He's signed a new contract. Um, I think he's still certainly probably Everton's best, most consistent player. And I think as far as Gareth Southgate is concerned, he's he's so loyal to, to his players that if you, as we've seen with Maguire, as we've seen with Calvin Phillips, if you continue to do a job for him, then he'll stick by you for as, as long as possible. And I, I don't think that that um, Jordan Pickford has done anything, anything really that that warrants losing his England place. John, I was uh, just to add to that. I was at uh, that game last weekend, and that double save there was astonishing save. But, but and aside to that, during the during the game itself, he produced two other brilliant saves. I don't know if they were included in match of the day or what, but. Um, and we were, we were talking to Daesh afterwards about how some people actually do question whether he's still England's number one. And Daesh just looked at his like, you know, asked him the most stupid question ever. You know, and it was, and he felt a bit daft for asking it because he had a binder that day. And, you know, he just reminded us what, what a great keeper he is, still is. Yeah, I'll tell you what, it's unfortunate to pick on him but I mean there was a few eyebrows raised when Nick Pope wasn't in and basically in the squad and it, it, you know I, I I mean Pope's kicking is, is is massively against him isn't he and I think I think Nick Pope I, I, I think Nick Pope is probably the best shot stopper that England have got in terms of keeping the ball out of the net I think he's absolutely outstanding but like you say a goalkeeper's job isn't just keeping the ball out of the net these days it's it's helping the team build up from the back and um, that that is one of Pope's great weaknesses. So in terms of having an all-round game, uh, you know, I, I agree with what Daichi said that it will be, I think it's a bit ridiculous to think that um, that Jordan Pickford isn't still English number one. That's, just one more thing. Daichi also said that, that obviously keepers and defenders tend to get better with age and Pickford's 29. So Daichi's just making the point that Pickford's best years are still ahead of him. Yeah, even better when he's in his early thirties. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just kept on thinking. You know, listen, Ramsdale's had some amazing days for Arsenal and games, super saves. And at that point, people jump in and immediately say, "Oh, I should be England's number one. Won't be long." I'm just thinking, no, you, you're not watching England, are you? You know, <laughs> it's just not, it's just not fair. But anyway, look, Gareth Southgate. Um, uh, I, I think sort of in the spotlight a bit again, Andy, this week. It's, it's obvious, isn't it? His contract expires 2024. He's kind of, you know, he's not been too clear on what happens next, but I do think there's been a few, you know, I mean, I, even I'm writing this morning that basically he's given the sort of the the, 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 the the pep talk and it could be his last tournament, that sort of thing. I don't think that's a great surprise. But one thing that, you know, is always a bit of an issue is we do have issues with managers who go into tournaments with the contract expiring at the end of that tournament, I never think it sits well. I never think it works. What do you, what do you think the future lies for Southgate? And is that a concern ahead of the Euros next summer? No, I, I, and so I, I'm, I'm sort of the opposite um, point of view. Um, you, you know, I, I've got no issue at all with with um, a manager's contract 
finishing at the end of the tournament. In fact, to prepare for Angers, I've long thought that that's the way it should be. I think I think international managers should should be judged tournament by tournament. They have a tournament every two years, you know. So let, let's see how they're doing that, and then take it from there. You know, the biggest mistake he never made, which is you know, which we'll always regret, is giving Fabio Capello an extension to his contract ahead of two thousand and ten. You know, they, they in their wisdom, the FA decided, oh, you know, we don't want you worrying about your new contract, um, um, Fabio. Are you going to stay? This is ahead of South Africa. We'll, we'll, we'll give you a very lucrative extension. Go and stink South Africa out and um, produce possibly some of the worst football we've seen in modern times from an England team. You know, so on that basis, and, and from that moment, I thought, you know what? This is international management. You know, you've got a tournament every two years. It'd be judged on that. I've got no problem at all with any manager of an international team going into And listen, it happens. Let's look back at the at the World Cup in Qatar. You know, of, of the losing quarterfinalists, how many international, how many managers of those losing quarterfinalists are still in their job? I think the answer is probably only Gareth. You know, that is the way international management works. The norm is for international managers to be judged solely on what happens in a particular tournament. You know, Brazil managers don't survive if they if, if they get knocked out in the, in the last. Eight or, or whatever, it, it just generally doesn't happen. So I've got no problem with that at all. Having said that, I do believe, I, I do believe that the, the Gareth Southgate will be. I I think he he will lead England into the World Cup um, in twenty twenty six. I'm, I'm I'm convinced of it. You know, I just think the more he goes on, strange enough, the more he goes on, the more we talk ahead of every tournament. Oh well, this might be his last. He's looking for a new challenge, club wise. The more I just see him. As nothing but an England manager, you know. I, I genuinely, you know, he, he is just a bespoke international manager. Where will he end up? I mean, listen, I, I, I don't know. I, I think he'll lead England into. That's if the Saudis don't make him an offer he can't refuse. You know what I've done? Do you think Southgate? If agreed, if you said that to Southgate, it would make him think. You know what? I'm going to get pigeonholed here if I can't continue. Not sure everything's good managing. Yeah, do it. it's. it's yeah, but it's not a bad pigeonhole to be in, is it? You know, I mean, being manager of the England national team is not a bad pigeonhole to be in. No, it's a, uh, it's a demanding job in terms of the, the stuff he's got to deal with, isn't it? On a, on a day. I mean, you know what? Demanding. Uh, listen, listen. It's no more demanding than, than, than being than being manager of Manchester United or manager of Liverpool or manager of Arsenal or Chelsea or Spurs. Whatever. It, you know, when you're under the threat of your four or five bad results away from getting the sack. I think and finance will come into it. I really do. I don't blame him for that. I mean, what do you think he's looking at? How do you think he's looking at Roberto Mancini now? You know, Roberto Mancini in the same group as England, in the throes of a European qualify, um, championship qualifying campaign, ditches his four and a half million euro job a year with Italy, probably about the same amount of money as Gareth's on, I would imagine, and then goes and takes 25 million euros a year in, um, in Saudi Arabia. I think finances will come into it. Well, I do. I just genuinely think. Can you see? Can can you now picture Gareth Southgate being the manager of an elite big six Premier League club or big seven? We're going now. Can you see it? The other thing as well, by the way, is is can you imagine a magic manager building a team that includes players of a certain age, such as Bellingham, Bowden, Rashford, Saka. And then, and then walking away from that when they're probably just about to reach the peak of their careers, um, I think it would be madness for, for for Gareth to to have done the the work that he's done. And I think this is another cycle of players that we're seeing coming through now. 
Um, hate to use the phrase golden generation because we've seen that, you know, players fall flat on their faces before. But this is a fantastic group of England players. And um, I, ju I just think it would be nothing short of madness, really, to, to, to walk away from the kind of squad that he's got when, when there's a World Cup just two years away. Mm. Yeah, it's a fascinating debate. And, uh, you know, I think it, it will come around more and more simply because, you know, we are within his last year of that contract. But it was interesting, wasn't it? I think we were, we were all there, weren't we? Rewind to Naples and he did he did sort of, you know, I don't know. He dropped a few, he dropped a few hints, you know, that basically I'm I'm like with I'm like with Dunning. I do feel as if it wouldn't be ridiculous to think that he might yet he might yet stay on, but but but, but we'll see, you know. But I don't know. And who and you know, if he were to leave, the the other issue is who on earth would take over? You know, because of well, no, I mean, I mean, I, she, that's not flippant, you know. I mean, this, I mean, the fact of the matter is, you wouldn't have had Gareth Southgate. It's the same path. I mean, he's won the under twenty-one tournaments. You know, did you? You're not going to do we? Do you really need? I mean, Southgate has proved that you don't need a Fabio Capello. You don't need a Sven Nelson. You don't need a Galactico um, coach to, to manage England. It's, it's a particularly, um, it, it's a job to bear in mind. Uh, bear in mind, you know, when, when we're all at St. George's Park earlier this week, which all four of us were, and, and you're talking to players there, Levi Colwell, for example, who, 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 who I sat in with, and you're talking all of these players, they come through that environment. You know, they are steeped in that environment of the England underage groups. The bedrock of the team that goes forward will be the team that just has just won the, the under-21 championship. So why, why wouldn't you have someone who knows those players well? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's it's a, it's it's an interesting one. I tell you, the other the other obviously major debating point of this week is Jordan Henderson and and the interview that he he he, he gave really about his move to Saudi Arabia. There's so many elements I think to talk about it. I mean, I don't I don't know what everyone thinks, but I thought it you know I thought it was a great get and fantastic insight. But he came across appallingly, and I actually think he's probably done more da reputational damage than than kind of clear up the clear up the mess. And I don't know what people what people think really. What did you think, Jeremy, of the uh, of the fallout? Is, is that what he would have wanted? Is that what he set out to to you know to achieve when he when he decided to give an interview? I didn't quite know what to make of it. I don't. He's certainly not gained anything from doing it, and he he just you know. He talks himself in circles, really. And look, essentially, listen, I, I like Henderson. He's always been great with us, hasn't he, when he's played for England at club level. He's helped us out with interviews and stuff, and he's obviously a, a decent human being. But the bottom line is, he's a hypocrite because he doesn't practice what he preaches, and he's taken the opportunity, a massive financial opportunity, to go play in what is, you know, a really, really poor level of football in Saudi Arabia. Um, and, you know, he claims he was hurt by the reaction. Or well, what did he expect? You can't go around, you know, being the voice of the LGBT community and all the rest of it, which he did brilliantly prior to the World Cup. And then go and earn your living in the country, you know, which has such an appalling record on that subject. So, you know, I, listen, I, I didn't agree with what he did. Um, I was disappointed in him for taking the money. 
Um, and, you know, he's not going to win, no matter what he says, Is he? he's not going to win over, win back with the critics who, 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 who come down heavy on him. So, listen, he's made his own bed and he's got to line it. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Uh, I mean, Simon, what did you... What did you take away from it? Is it uh, and also, I guess, has he got an England future? Uh, well, Gareth Southgate's picked him. So um, uh, uh, for, for now, he's got an England future. But obviously, you know, going further forward, how good is how good a preparation is the Saudi Pro League going to be for playing international football? Now, Gareth Southgate made the point, I think, this week that it's, it's about, it's not, not just the kind of, quality of the players that, that will probably go there but it's the intensity of the league and that that is something that, that Southgate will be looking at and of course Southgate um, if he wants to do a, um, a proper job as an England manager he's going to have to travel to Saudi Arabia to watch him play um, I think we, we, the, the problem that, that all footballers have got not just Jordan Henderson is that they are now held up as these kind of political role models and um, clearly, last year, when you know Henderson was was part of the the row over the, the you know whether England should wear the, the rainbow red laces and stuff, um, he he spoke from the heart, but he wasn't you know he, he couldn't foresee that 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 less than twelve months later he would be getting this fabulous offer from Saudi Arabia. And let's be let's be right, he's he's you know he's gone there because he can earn an absolute fortune in a very short space of time. And you know, he's listen. He, I'm I'm pretty sure that he was he financially set for life anyway. But you know, you, you can't kind of um, dismiss the 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 lure of money. We've we've seen players, not just English internationals, but you know, top top footballers turn their backs on on careers in Europe um, to to go and chase money. And um, you know, it's whether we should criticize players for that. We don't criticize people in other walks of life for. Maximizing their their earning potential. The only problem is that obviously that Jordan spoke out so uh, so skillfully last year about the uh, about the problems in that part of the world. So you know, fo- footballers have got have got this. You know, they're unfairly held up as, as role models. I f- I feel, and sometimes they're not equipped to kind of deal with the um, with the questions that, that these things raise. No, no, I agree. Andy, you wrote, you know, from the heart. You know, yeah, in for, for yesterday's mirror, and you know, powerful yeah. work on him. Well, well, well. I mean, the other thing I would say, I mean, you listen to the lads. I've already said it, really. Um, and plenty of people have said similar. You know, the only thing I would say is that, and, and you're right, it was a great, a great gift for um, to be to get the Jordan Henderson interview. But you know, he would have been better off saying nothing, basically. Uh, you know, I mean, there's nothing else to say. I mean, what, what can he say? I mean, realistically. You know, he was never going to say, you know, which, um, if I remember rightly, Graham McDowell, when he joined Live Golf, you know, basically just said, yeah, you know, I've gone there for the money. I mean, he was never going to say, I've gone there for the money, but we all know he's gone there for the money. So then the rest of the interview, no matter how many words, um, um, it's irrelevant. But I, the, the, the particular of, of many sorts of risible lines there that, 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 where, um, that Jordan Henderson came out with, and it's a real shame, as, as Jeremy alluded to, in, in the fact that he's always spoke brilliantly, He's been great with us um, over so many years. Brilliant with the Mayside Press. You know, just a genuine, he came across so genuinely. And the fact that he's always come across as an utterly genuine character 
when you actually read something that is obviously so not genuine, so ingenuine, it jars. So when he says, and and, and the, the line particularly that jarred at me was like, you know, well, you know, m- me being there, this idea that being there somehow shines a light might affect a positive change in Saudi. It's the biggest load of nonsense going. It's just the most ridiculous old chestnuts, whatever. I remember... I remember high-profile figures saying it when the Saudis took over Newcastle. Well, at least it's got to be in the news. At least we'll have a spotlight on these. Absolute nonsense. I mean, it it does it on. The only thing it does is embolden the Saudis because they're saying, well, you know what? We've got this guy here who's been going on about, you know, LGBTQ, and we've just bought him. We've just bought him. We bought him. We bought his values. We bought his silence. And he bought his silence because he can say I've still got these values. But in the same breath, he says he can't express them in Saudi. Well, I mean, you know, so what's the point? So of the many things, I just think, you know, I, I think I genuinely think he would have been better off just, just saying nothing, really. I, I, I really did because we all know why he went. He knows why he went. You know? I mean, so it's just the rest is really... Uh, no, just on a practical level, going back to the his selection for England, um, I mean, I genuinely believe the reason why Southgate picked him was because if he hadn't picked him, it would have looked as though Southgate might have been making some sorts of political statements. He, he, he I think Southgate was was very wary of the idea that okay, well, he doesn't pick him, it will be seen as right. Well, you're being punished for going to Saudi and one more. He didn't want to do that, so we're picking for this squad, but clearly. You know, clearly going forward, I mean, he can't play in, in the European... You can't have a season in Saudi and then expect to be at Euro 2024. I think he knows that as well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Hey, listen, uh, we should make it clear, shouldn't we, that basically this is, this is a podcast with four journalists on it. We, we'd all love that interview. And basically, it was, it was a fascinating read, but I totally... I'd also, I also take your point that basically, if, if you look at it, if you shine it and look at it from his eyes, what on earth has he gained? You know, from from doing that interview, and basically, you know, he really, he really should have, he really should have, yeah, really, from a realistic point of view, should have stayed strong. I ran into a former player actually, as leaving St George's Park, and said, "Why, why on earth is he done it? Why is he done it? Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't understand it for the life of me. Oh, live with it. He's John. You know, he, he would, he would have to talk quite at some point. You know, yeah. England's media team, England's media team can't shield him." For you know, however many internationals he, he now plays for England, so at some point he will have to talk about it. I'm pretty sure that the interview he did, the kind of advice that was given to him was that he would be in control of the interview. Um, he may well have been, but obviously it just didn't probably didn't come across. Well, it wouldn't have come across as as he would have uh, he would have planned because as as Andy quite rightly says, there's no explanation for it other than. You know, I've been bought. You know that is the that, uh, that is the, the nuts and bolts of it. Yeah, and and and, and yeah, exactly. And, and and okay, he was never going to say that. His PR people would would have said, no, you can't say that. But the idea that anyone would swallow this idea that it's you know he's going there, you know, again, just alluding back to um, Mancini. Um, um, I'd say he walked out of Italy as formerly in Euro job when there's twenty five million euro job, and his. His his interview when he when he took over ten days later, two weeks later, is it, like you know, I'm here for the project, you know. And and this idea, it's it, it's a comedy line, isn't it? You know, I, I'm I'm there for the project, there for the football, and they should have known it is nonsense. What they maybe could have done, the only thing they could have done, is not as bluntly said it's for them. Well, they just could have explained how, you know, this is I'm at the stage of life. This is life. This is what people might have might have just might have related to. A little bit was that listen, I'm at this stage of life, 
Um, this is genuinely, even though I'm a wealthy man anyway, this is genuinely life-changing money for not just my generation of my family, but for generations after, et cetera, et cetera. Put yourself in my shoes, he could have said, and you're in X, X amount of, um, a week, you're now guaranteed X amount. What would you have done? You would have, he, he could have said he grappled with his with his principles over a period of time, but, you know, as reluctantly sacrificed him, he could have gone down that route, you know, and just explain to us, you know, exactly why, asked to say, listen, you know, who in the right mind would go from, would turn down that sort of money, you know, and it is, I mean, as I say, I know that I've already got brilliant lies, but it's life-changing money. Even if you're a millionaire, it's life-changing money. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. I suppose so. But he didn't do it. He didn't do it for the money, honestly. But there you go. Anyway, look, look, two, 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 two of my favourite players in in the in in the world, basically, Jude Bellingham, and what a phenomenal start. Let's move on to the uh, from the ridiculous to the sublime, really. But um, but Jude Bellingham, absolutely phenomenal start to to Real Madrid um and and his career. It says here on the script, and I concur with our script writer. Basically, is he on is he on um, pace to become the best player in the world? And I think absolutely, undoubtedly, yes, because of his age and the impact he's made already. What 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 what, what do we think, boys? Well, he's just been shortlist, and on the well, it's not a shortlist; it's actually a pretty long list for the Ballon d'Or. Um, there's just the thirty names on there. You know what? If you were picking. Five, a list of five players, I'd pick Bellingham on that shortlist because I think he is truly a special, special player. We've seen him come through and we for England and we've been sort of shaking our heads how brilliant he was and thinking this guy's actually going to be a real worldie. <laughs> and he's gone to Real Madrid, which is really a tough place to, you know, to, to prove yourself. Arguably the biggest club in the world. You know, it makes you or breaks you, Real Madrid, and he's made such a sensational start to his career there. Um, I think he, I think he's had with the best midfielder in the world right now. Well, already, yeah. What do we think, guys? The thing is, he's at a place where he's playing under such pressure every week. You might be allowed one bad game for Real Madrid, but you're not allowed to have two or three. And I'm not talking about keeping your coach happy. I'm talking about keeping eighty thousand Real Madrid fans who go to the Bernabeu every week who are not afraid to let players know when they're not reaching their required standard. So he's gone to a place where he's going to be under such pressure. And, you know, what does pressure produce? It produces diamonds. And I think that um, Jude Bellingham is already, a, a, he's an unpolished diamond at the moment, but I think he's going to just get better at Real Madrid. And I think, yeah, I think he's at a place where he could arguably come, become the best player in the world. You know, certainly a, a Ballon d'Or defender at some point. And how good is that for England to have a player like that sort of controlling uh, Gareth, Southgate, Gareth Southgate's midfield? So, yeah, I think he's um, so exciting just to see how he's taken to the challenge and, and he just looks like he's he's born to play on that stage. So, um, yeah, good good for he's good for Jude Bellingham, it's good for Real Madrid and it's good for England. Yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, again, at the risk of sounding like... Uh, just being contrary for the sake of it, you know, I do think yeah, it's very early on in his Real Madrid career. We're talking, you know, four or five games into his Real Madrid career. I would also say, 
And I know there is, you know, the Bellingham bandwagon, I mean, just a fiber bandwagon, you know, has been going at some pace for some time, driven mainly by yourself, Crossy, to be fair, um, at the wheel, Crossy's at the wheel. But, you know, I, I, what I would say for England, what I would say for England is that what's the game that's had the most pressure for England that Jude Bellingham has played in? What game? France. How did he play in that game? You can't play, you can't be, have a worldie in every match, do they? <laughs> well, you can if you're the world's right. You're, you're talking about Miss Burgers winning the Ballon d'Or, pal. That's what they do. I thought he actually produced the World Cup. Lionel Messi produced, that's why he'll win the Ballon d'Or, no matter how long or short or medium sized the list. He's winning the Ballon d'Or. The whole thing's ridiculous. He produced. Now, I would say in that game, Bellingham, I thought in that particular game, biggest game, of arguably the biggest game of his England career, um, I don't think he produced. I, I, I think I think he wasn't very particularly disciplined in that game, and, and this is a young lad. So, but what I'm saying is, let's just get a little bit of perspective. Foot on the ball, you know. The the, the, the kids play. There's not. There's not. Let's get really excited by a best player. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. He's 20 years of age. Yeah, it was. Yeah, what he's going to be when he's 28? Let's hope so. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean seriously, yeah. I mean, I every chance, but I would think that the idea, I just think that in terms of his England career so far, um, you know, it, it's extremely promising. I would call it that, extremely promising. And his time, you know, Real Madrid is promising. I mean, it is only, as I say, five games. And as much as you say about how demanding the Real Madrid fans are, you know, they're, they're, it, it, they are they are also particularly, you know, that they can change like that. So so um, it'll be tough for him to keep going. But yeah, he's got all the attributes, all the attributes to be, one of the world's best midfielders, without a doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking are you, of the world, are you suggesting the Real Madrid fans are quite contrary, Dunny? <laughs> Speaking of the world's best, uh, Bakayo second as well. I mean, well, it, it, England's England's played England's played the. I've got to say on this one, right. I do think there's no, surely no debate that he's been England's best player in the in the in the past twelve months. Bearing in mind, well, maybe, maybe Drew Bellingham, as I say, uh, Drew Bellingham had such an amazing World Cup, but Saka's figures are astonishing, aren't, aren't they? You know, absolutely fantastic. You know what, Donny um, uh, Crossy, when you were when you were mentioning that name, you, you a, a grin, you couldn't help yourself. <laughs> a grin kind of just appeared. On your face, and that's the kind of player that he is. Yeah. He brings a smile to people's faces. Yeah, um, he's a personality side as well. Absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. He's just, uh, you know, he, he just looks completely unchanged by the success that he's had. You know, again, he, he's kind of he's really he's, he's Arsenal's talisman, isn't he? In terms of, you know, what what Mikel Arteta is trying trying to achieve, and um, yeah, I, he, look, he's been absolutely fabulous for England over the last. You know, two years. Let's let, let's be fair. Not not just the last twelve months. Over the last the last two years, and um, he just appears to be getting better and better. And what what I like about him is he just seems to be such a fearless player. You know, his first thought is to try and beat is to try and beat a defender. And uh, how can you not like a player who he does that? He didn't he win the didn't he win the world's best player award the year before? Oh yeah, so it's his second success. Consistency has been the key, and he always plays well for England. He sets a high bar, and he manages to keep doing it. It's, he's a brilliant player. Yeah, absolutely. I did see Danny laughing because basically I've gone from 
saying Jude Bellingham, you know, of course, to be the best player in the world, and then saying the Saka's been the best. If Bellingham's been the best England player, wait, you said he's won, Harry Saka's won England player twice. <laughs> no, I, look, I, I just think, you know, Bell, Bellingham is just such a sensation. And I just think that, you know, forward players always get the goal simply because goals and assists these days. And I, I've never seen a, young, a player as young as Saka be so intelligent in his decision making. He never wastes the ball. Well, apart from all right, and apart from Fulham's opening goal, but um, but you know, I mean, it's it's just absolutely, it's astonishing how good how good he is and his decision making, and you know, he's so dare I say it, efficient. Because I don't want to say that because he's so excited, but he's also he just never makes the wrong choice. This is amazing, amazing. In, England England is allowed to have two outstanding young players as well, and they, you know, I know it's unusual. But we are allowed to to kind of finish finished still. Is Phil Foden not young anymore? We're not we not counting him anymore. We, I mean, what he's got five Premier League medals now. He's an old he's an old he's an old stage of Foden. We don't even bring him. You don't have to be old to have five Premier League medals at City, mate, as you well know. <laughs> no, he, um... the thing about Saka is because he gets fouled a lot. He gets a lot of stick from defenders, and he just gets up, cracks on with the game. He doesn't moan at referees. He's got a really good attitude. Yeah, I think he's great. Hey, listen, right, we're going to finish on a bit of Premier League, really. Mo Salah, are we surprised that he's stayed? Andy, what do you, what do you think? And then he, he's staying, but then do you, well, I presume he's not, I presume he's staying unless we get some last-minute drama and shot mm. and then he's too late for that now, really. But um, but I, do, does the Mo Salah that stays just get on with it and basically think about maybe next summer going to Saudi then and basically what 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 what, do, what have Liverpool kept in, in keeping Mo Salah, if you see what I mean. Well, well, I was in Anfield on Sunday and the Mo Salah that was staying, you know, certainly looked as though he was just getting on with it then. Um, you know, I, I just I, I had a typically great Mo Salah game, which he does game in, game out. I think that was his, like, 10th game um, in which he'd either scored or assisted. But that's just a norm, breaking a record that had been set by Mo Salah. Um, he, he, and, and that's what he does. He's, he's, the most, he's, he's the most consistently effective Premier League player of the past decade, you would argue, you, you know, um, since he's been certainly back at, at Liverpool. So, yeah, I mean, they've got no confidence. It's a, it's a strange story. There's an idea that, yeah, Young's around and he goes to Saudi. So we are, in a way, having not heard from him, we're sort of taking it for granted that, you know, he is going to be either now, doesn't seem that way, or in the future, attracted by, Again, just going back to it, figures that are just, you know, they're barely, barely conceivable, these figures that they would offer Mo Salah or are supposed to be offering Mo Salah. And we just assumed that he'd be, um, that, that, that he'd, he'd want that sort of, um, that, that move. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't. I saw, it was interesting, Sergio Ramos going back to um, his home city of Seville um, last week. Um, he was offered a deal in Saudi where £20 million pounds, um, and he went for a year, and he went back to Seville for a deal that's worth a million pounds. So, you know, he's turning down 19 million pounds. Now, again, it's easy to say what he can afford to do because the money he's earned during the time Real Madrid and PSG. But, you know, it's still a statement. And maybe, you know, if you're at... I mean, I don't know. When Salah scored that third goal against Aston Villa and he, he sort of took the acclaim there from the cop and he, he, he kissed the Anfield turf, you know... A little bit of me thought, well, I wonder if he's saying, like, you know, farewell. But maybe more interestingly, you think, but why would you leave here? I mean, why would you leave an atmosphere 
um, you know, a vibrancy about not not just the club, but obviously about the league. You know, I mean, we, we do go over the top by the Premier League, but but it does have that. You know, why would you do that? Um, there are obviously tens and tens of millions of reasons why, in terms of money. But maybe maybe it just doesn't want to go. I don't know because I think I genuinely think that if it did, we we all know how these things work. And and if if Mo Salah wanted to leave Liverpool. Or had wanted to leave it in the in the transfer window and go to Saudi, he could have found ways to try and engineer that. And, 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 and there's nothing to suggest that he's done exactly that. It's great for Liverpool that he's staying. I genuinely think that Liverpool are rejuvenated this season. I genuinely think that he can lead them to a title challenge. So it, it, it's great for both Liverpool and for the Premier League that, that he's staying here. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree. I agree. I do feel as if it's probably only until next summer, but then, you know, timing is everything, isn't it? And they sort of kind of, you know, then the deal works better for all parties. 170 million quid's a lot of money to turn down. And... It is, yeah. But I just, you know, I think they're probably taking the the, the, the gamble and the view that, you know, uh, it's probably going to be on the table next summer. And I also think then that, you, you know, even if it was significantly less, chief executives think into in financial terms in that basically you know how much would we lose by missing out on the champions league again compared to you know the the the, the money saving or the money gained and i also think from a football point of view you know in sporting terms if you if you basically weigh that up and the, and the lift that it gives you from from a stature sense as well as a financial one i do actually think you know even though it's even though it's a lot of money to turn down, if you compare it to probably what's on like the going to be on the table next next um, summer, it's just not not the idiotic decision that I think some people have, have painted it. I think fair play to him who kept him, you know. And he still he still lights up the pitch, doesn't he? Uh, owing for me, oh magic, absolute magic. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how what Liverpool fans think if if it did that did transpire last summer, uh, next summer, sorry. What Liverpool fans would think about having their club rebuilt by Saudi cash would, would be quite an interesting, uh, quite an interesting. Exactly, exactly. But you know, hey, listen, you know, there's been a lot of kind of criticism from Liverpool about about certain clubs, and it would be interesting to see how their supporters felt or how the owners felt about taking Saudi cash to to rebuild the team. God, Simon, throwing that one in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, they I wrote that, and I, I, I wrote that. And I wish you had my mailbag on, on the back of that. Yeah, I'll leave, I'll leave, I'll leave you to answer the letters, Donny. Give the pelters, yeah. <laughs> good luck, pal. Good luck. Now, finally, I'm going to finish on the VAR show and the VAR debate. Blimey, we've had some tough decisions this week, and uh, you know, some some crazy ones. Even in just one game at the Emirates, really onside, offside. I thought he was onside in the spirit, but he's offside. You know, clearly offside from a technical sense, isn't he? And then basically penalty or no penalty. But I tell you what, it more interests me because that was a long time ago. It feels like already. What do we think about? It was interesting to hear a former player. I think it was Danny Murphy, wasn't it? Say this week is like I don't need an apology. Just get it right in the first place. It's almost like being cheated on by 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 your missus, basically. <laughs> don't want to don't want to hear your apologies afterwards, sort of thing, really. And it was, um, I mean, it, 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 it's you know, it was a strange comparison that one. Um, but but basically, 
what what do we think? You know, do, do, is, is it good to have it out there? That that transparency is how we're moving in the right direction. Do we like that show? I personally, I personally do, and I also think Howard Webb is moving in the right direction. But my God, he's he's up against it with this, you know, albeit barring two or three really good refs and officials. I, I do think he's he's up against it with this, you know, list of refs. What do you think, Sorry. The very fact that we need Howard Webb to appear on a weekly show to highlight and apologise for mistakes made by VAR suggests to me that VAR isn't working as planned. Uh, now, listen, even when VR, VAR came in, there was always going to be errors. But they are, the, the fact that we're getting still getting two or three high-profile mistakes every single week illustrates the fact that either the, the people who operate, well, it doesn't illustrate, there's no either or, or about it. The people who are operating VAR are, are, are not, have not got it right. They, you know, they're not using the technology as it was supposed to be used. Um, and the fact that we've we've still got, I mean, we before VAR, we didn't we didn't have um, Mike Riley appearing on TV every week, telling us which mistakes the referee, which uh, decisions the referee had got right and wrong. Now we've got VAR. Howard Webb's, Webb's got another kind of career opportunity here. He's he's on TV every week, explaining to us what was right and what was wrong. We've got Mike Dean on Sky. You know, it's jobs for the boys. Let's get rid of VAR because. You know, they're, they're, let's be honest. The referees have seen it and thought this is a this is a way of prolonging our career. Here. You know, this is a way, a, a way of staying on the gravy train. And um, the the problem is is that it's ruining the game for the rest of us. So um, you know, let's get the, the whole kit and caboodle for me. One of my favourite sports, basically. I do like the um, and I like this one. I, I better not say who, but basically, I, uh, Chief Exec told me a great story that he got a phone call. Basically, his te- it, 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 he hadn't realised it at the time, but his team had had a goal disallowed during the game. He'd left a couple of minutes before the end to get in his car. He'd got you know, a meeting or something to go and get you know, try and sign a player or something. And basically, he, he left. And on his way to the car, the phone went. It's Howard Webb to apologise. He didn't even know the mistake had been made during that game. And uh, basically, that's how on it Howard Webb is. Basically, to 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 you know to kind of make apologies and sort of you know he speaks to managers on a regular basis. Obviously, knows the chief exec rang him and said sorry, you know. And basically, and what are you going on about? Didn't realise, but that's how proactive they are. I was, the, I was in the Etihad press box on Saturday, and every single person in that press box said that Nathan Aki's goal should have been disallowed for offside. Every single person. Every single Man City fan sat in a sort of around the press box who could see um, a replay of the of the goal on the screen said the goal should have been disallowed for offside. Howard Webb has said the goal should have been disallowed for offside. How on earth can the to, can two guys in a in a in a van watching on VAR be so detached? Should be should should stand. It's just, it's ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous. And, it, 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 I, I, and, and the thing the thing is, I mean, what you were saying previously, Simon, about, about it being basically a, it's a new cottage industry for referees and retired referees, and indeed a, a great um, um, opening for, for Howard Webb. And I totally agree with that. I mean, it, it, it has created this industry of analysing the mechanisms of VAR. The bottom line with, with VAR is it, it, that you know it was never going to be perfect. It's not going to be perfect. The decision rights has VAR in the time it's been in 
reduce the amount of obvious um, poor refereeing decisions, and I think it has. And I think that's that's all you can hope for, really. You know, does it has it reduced the number of ricks? And I think it probably has because there's there's been mistakes that have been corrected by VAR. There's some that haven't been corrected. VAR's made mistakes, but has it reduced them? I think probably has. And I, I just don't think it's any big deal, really. I, I don't think it's any big deal. We've got a, a higher percentage of correct calls on the pitch than we had before VAR, and I just think that's all you, all you can move on. And all the rest of it. Referees, my dub program is all that. Well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, but it's not particularly relevant. The only thing I would accept on that is offside decisions because we've seen how impossible it is for uh, uh, linesmen, and I'll still call them linesmen or lineswomen, to get those decisions correct because they are so tight. Impossible to, to judge them because of, because of the speed of the game. But I don't accept that they've got other decisions, that the majority of, uh, of decisions that aren't offside decisions, right? Not at all. I don't think that they've wiped away those errors one little bit. Um, line decisions, like offside decisions, absolutely fine. As the ball crosses the goal line, absolutely fine. Everything else, no. Well, VAR, for example, Sam, VAR can tell and has told if there is absolutely no contact, if a player has taken a dive. Do you not think VAR has inadvertently, well, not inadvertently, has been a, one of the good byproducts of VAR is that we don't see as many Blatant dives in the box. Well, I don't because VR can tell. I tell there's no contact. Now, as soon as a player feels a touch, he goes down, and he knows that the the the, 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 the replay slowed down that much. That a, that a slight contact like that looks like he's been taken out of the knees. He didn't win Kai Havertz at the Emirates on, 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 on a, with, with a replay. Well, that was another mistake. You know that I thought what that you was, see. I thought that was a mistake because penalties. A penalty in a, a different stadium for a different for different teams in exactly the same scenario would, would be given and it wouldn't be overruled and that is the problem. It is still down to, to human opinion and you know I, I just think it's it's just making a, a mockery of the game. Mm, yeah, no, it's it, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'll, I'll tell you one. One, it raised a really good point. It's a rarity for him, but. Uh, our friend and colleague Mark Ogden basically made a great, great one, which made me think, and I thought, well, that's a great show. Basically, it did, you know, do we get the same level of VAR controversies, stroke mistakes in the Champions League? We don't. What's that telling us? I think that I think that is the that is the answer, and the sort of kind of you know the cl- the, the clues all there, really, isn't it? You know, the VAR. It's not the technology; it's the people. You know, and it brings us back to that anyway. <laughs> hat, hat tip, as the youngsters say, to Mark Hulton. Um, um, uh, guys, thanks so much for joining. Nice to see you all. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think we'll, 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 some of us will be going to um, go, go and watching uh, in England, rock out and basically enjoying it. Yeah, and uh, uh, and others getting into the um, rugby. Jeremy, uh, I think you know, egg chasing. So good luck with that. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. Right, guys, nice to see you.